Hey, I'm here at a Casual Connect in Seattle, and with me today is a special guest. How about you introduce yourself? Hi. Um, yeah. Uh, what What studio are you in? So I'm with <clears throat> I'm with a studio based in Wellington, New Zealand, called She. Uh, we're an independent console development studio, and we've been going for 13 years. And um, you're also doing some iPhone games. Uh, that's how's, what um, what group is that with? So last year we set up an iPhone team, which we've called PickPop. Um, we wanted the iPhone team to be able to, to put out games that are slightly different or on a, known for different things than what we do under the She Studio. And so we went with the name PickPop. Something a bit playful. Um, I wanted to point out, in, in our pre-interview, you mentioned that you just named your whole iPhone, iPhone group a different name. Um, are you guys located in the same location then, or do you even have separate locations for your iPhone group so that you know the culture can be developed on its own? We, it's a good question, and we do actually house the iPhone team on a different floor of the building that we're in. So uh, Pickpock has its own little uh, environment that it can build its culture out. Um, it's a smaller team than the rest of the studio, but the, the great thing about being part of a larger studio like She, um, even albeit an independent studio, is we do have resources which Pickpock can sort of steal or beg and borrow and use, um, be it concept design, art direction, in-house audio, animation, uh, QA team, and we do a lot of usability, user research testing on our games as well. Now, you said this, um, the studio's been in business for 13 years, and you came in about maybe six years ago or something else. Um, you came in when it was still relatively small. Um, you guys are a relative, like a bigger studio than when you first came in. What have been the changes um, in terms of the feel or the personality of the company as it's grown from a smaller studio to something that's a, a little bigger? You guys are still self-publishing in indie, but... Yeah, um, people are often surprised to, to, to learn the size of the studio. Um, we are still very fiercely independent. Um, you know, the studio has taken on no investment, no capital, really grown out of uh, a lot of hard work and person determination. And it is a lot larger now, but the exciting part is that it just means we're, we're able to do more of the type of things, the type of games we really want to do from the outset, and we can do them a lot faster now. Uh, and it means that everything's just of a much higher quality, so we, we have the luxury of having a really strong pre-production team and process. We have fantastic infrastructure, so we have people really working on the, uh, the tools and the technology and making sure that's in a great place. Uh, and then right through to the post-production and the marketing, we have people who can put on trailers or fantastic musicians to work on the soundtracks for our games. So it is, it is definitely a lot larger, and when we travel and come to these conferences and come back and there's a new person or a couple of new faces you don't uh, know straight off the bat, it, it does take a while to get back up to speed. Um, but it's, it's only a positive thing at the moment. The culture's really stayed uh, very much the same. Now you guys have decided to do a lot of self-publishing of your titles. How has that worked out? And you know, how do you, as a studio, how do you manage that? Because um, that's something that a lot of indie developers don't follow or follow through on, and that's usually what kills them. But you guys are obviously growing. So, how is that working for you? And um, what suggestions do you have? 
think we've always had a very strong desire to do original games and original content. Uh, I think because the studio is based in New Zealand, uh, it did take us a while to get going, especially in an industry that's so global. Uh, and you really, you really do need to be in North America or Europe where a lot of the action happens. Um, it did take us a while to get up and running in New Zealand. Is, it's about as far south as you can get. You know, next stop, Antarctica. Um, but that's become a really strong uh, advantage now. We have a very focused environment to, to run the studio from. And doing original IP and self-publishing it, you just need to look at it. Um, you do need to take on the, the, the same sort of view that a publisher would have if you're working with them. You are making an investment. It is a business. You need to be very uh, thorough in your in your design and uh, IP selection. So making sure that you're you're going after a game for a very specific reason, that you know there's an audience for it or a customer or a hook. Um, having focus, knowing uh, what it is that's going to make the game stand out. Um, having fun making it. Do a lot of iteration, a lot of design. Try a lot of things, but, but do focus down once you you know what's unique about it. Uh, and make sure you follow through on marketing and PR and, and support as well. Um, try build a community up around your games. Um, we've got a, a forum on the studio which has it's about nine thousand people, but they're very active. They've posted almost a million times since we've set up the studio, so it's a very active forum for a small group of people. Um, and uh, you just have to be very proactive about driving attention to your game. Um, for things like the Shatter game we made for PlayStation Network and PC, we, we built out a very good soundtrack around it and uh, used that as a hook to draw people into the game. So put the music out for free, basically online, for people to stream. Um, you know, these sort of things we've done for, for self-publishing. Yeah, um, let's... Um you talked about having fun while you're developing. Um, since you guys are self-publishing and you're acting kind of, you kind of have to be your own publishers. I mean, can you talk about the design process? Um, you talk about iteration and you talk about having fun. Um, um, talk about that. I mean, is that, are you guys, you guys have to be serious to develop the kind of quality games that you're doing or are you just having a ton of fun every day or, or how's that work? Um, we, we, like, like anyone making games, you, you are doing it to have fun, but it is a very, um, it's a very focused process we have to to make sure that we, when we start an original title that um, we know what it is that we want to achieve with it and have a process in place for iterating the design at the very early stages. Uh, we have a, a process that's taken several years to build up around selecting the IPs alone through to putting them into production. Uh, so we do try to start with a very, very wide set of ideas from anyone on the team and select them that select them down, give them a little bit of formal resource so we can start seeing what might be promising and then have another round of uh, culling and then settle in on an IP and, and chase it passionately. But also be willing to let something go if it's not working. We've had prototypes that just haven't clicked and we've had to move on. Um, can you talk about the user testing, user iteration that you also mentioned? Um, how does that play into, the, into your design process? So we're, we're very focused on usability testing as a studio. Um, we're fortunate to have a uh, 
fantastic woman, uh, Tracy Seller, set up our user research lab and run usability testing on a PSP game we did in 2004 called Gripshift, and it was a very interesting process. We learned a lot of lessons. Uh, straight after doing that, uh, that lab and setting up the process, Tracy was actually recruited to Microsoft Game Studios. Um, so she's very talented. She's still there today. Um, but basically, it's not focus group testing. We're not trying to see if people like the game. We're just trying to see if they can comprehend what they're supposed to be doing. Um, trying to see if there are any barriers to the, the enjoyment of the game. And, and if there are, we want to remove them. Because there's so many games today that people come across a barrier, they get frustrated, and they put the game down and they go find another one. So is this is this testing done on a daily basis or is it done on a weekly basis? How, how is it? So we we run labs through the development and we try bring in a, a sample of three to five people uh, and we sit them down and, and they play the game and we observe them and we ask questions about to have them verbalize their experience. But we're not really prompting them or trying to lead them on. Um, we don't do it daily because you do need to identify issues and then resolve them. And if you're doing it daily, you might not have enough time to, uh, to actually keep making the game. But uh, and over time, uh, with our in-house usability expert, you, you start to build up um, an awareness from the outset of what might be an issue. And so we can actually identify things to, to look out for, even at a, at a, a paper design phase. Um, I mean, there's some interesting just across um, things that people know intuitively so for, for a male game um, they don't like reading help text or instructions it's basically the same as in real life of asking for directions so um, sometimes in a game if you say help text or tutorial uh, a guy player will skip over it and then in later levels get frustrated because he doesn't know a, a very key concept that he needs to learn simple usability fix, user research fix would be to then relabel that tutorial level, level one, and they'll quite happily play it, whereas if it was called a tutorial, they'll try to skip over it straight away. Um, you know, since you guys are also self-publishing, um, what about the marketing? Uh, it seems like you're actually doing a decent amount of marketing online. Um, how's that working out for you, and what are what are techniques you're doing to get your distribution, to get your name out, and stuff like that? In digital distribution is no different to uh, physical retail. Uh, just because it's available online, it doesn't mean people are going to be able to find it. Um, you may be a digital product, but you're still a, a digital product box on a digital shelf. And so, um, yeah, we view marketing as very important. Uh, we put a lot of effort into the games, and if we don't follow that up with marketing support and try to let as many people know about our games as possible, then we're really doing the development team at the service. Um, we try to do a number of things, and very standard things from the, the PR reach, so putting out press releases and engaging for reviewers and previews, uh, through to doing the interesting trailers um, that I've, I've shown you, um, through to finding hooks that we can build into the game, so for Shatter, having a great soundtrack, uh, seeing that it was resonating, building that out into music videos, and making the CD available for purchase, and just trying to find as many ways that people can have intro points into the game as possible. Uh, the, the great thing we're, we're enjoying with TikTok and iPhone is we've gone from having a game come out every 18 months for the console download 
about every five to six to eight weeks and the games keep changing through updates and morphing as we react to fan feedback and what people want to see in the game so the marketing is this ongoing daily thing where you know, we're really trying to work out every day what can we do to sort of make the game stand out and get attention picking up reviews, updating the store text, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, let's transition then into uh, Pickpock and the iPhone games. Um, you know, you've, you've seen this mini studio within your main studio. What is the cultural difference? What would you explain as the cultural or development difference between developing for iPhone games versus even these, um, you know, Sony PlayStation or something else type, type of games? I think, I think the, the main difference is you just have to be a lot more be willing to update your apps and games and fundamentally it was a big shift in culture to go from a point where when the game was done the game was done and everyone congratulates themselves and watches the reviews flow and the iPhone game when the game's done it's not done Uh, when you first release it it's just beginning Uh, if if it's successful you want to support it you want to update it Apple makes it very easy to put new modes and updates come through so that was a big, big shift. Um, long-term planning is also very, very difficult on iPhone uh, because you just don't know what's going to happen. Um, we've had many, many plans set out of, of exactly what we're going to do, and then suddenly an opportunity's arisen. We want to capitalise on it, or the game started to do particularly well. And we want to double down on it. It's, um, it can be quite tricky for a team going from a, a long-term planning perspective to suddenly have uh, this mentality that they need to be able to be very nimble and jump around from, from task to task. Yeah. Those are the main cultural differences. Um, you know, and you talk about updating the game, updating um, the community even after the game's released. What are you doing with the iPhone games to keep the community going, building momentum, building fans? Yeah. So we, the great, the fantastic thing about iPhone that's really a new shift as well is there's a whole new generation of gamers getting bred and groomed with the expectation that they can influence the game and they can be vocal about the changes they would like to see. So when you read the reviews on uh, on the App Store or on various forums, we do get a lot of feedback which we take into consideration and we can start to build a picture of what it is that people really want to, want to see. Uh, and then it's a careful balance between making the game better, adding new modes or improving it, but at the same time not wanting to put out an update that detracts from something that a group of people really love about the game as well. So we've had experiences where we've, we've changed very subtle things and had a big backlash against it, and we've had other situations where we've added new modes and had a huge uh, joyous reception to them. So. And what about business models? Are you going to experiment? You know, with iPhone, there's this talk of you know charging up front, but then there's free to play, yeah. and then charging after that or virtual goods. Do, is that even relevant to the games that you're making? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we we know that our games are of a high quality, and we can make games very polished. And um, you know, a great example of that is our Bird Strike game. We we release that at 99 cents. We generally stick to a 99 cents price point. And we did a free promotion with Open Faint, and we were Open Faint's free game of the day. And in the space of three days, we had 1.3 million downloads, and we were the number one uh, free app on the US store. So we know that people like our content, and we're going to start exploring um, a 
free-to-play model. So, you know, see if we can draw as many people in with our, the quality of the experience and, um, and see what we can do there. I think it's a, it's a new exciting place when you can just remove those barriers to entry to, to free. Yeah. And if people really love your game and really like it, you're going to find a way to, to monetize it and make the model work. Um, you know, in terms of any other surprises with iPhone, any other suggestions then for people who are going to do iPhone? Have you looked at Android? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on Android versus iPhone? Um, since you're outside the U.S., it's a different perspective. Yeah, well, we, when we started iPhone development, we were really attracted to the simplicity. There was one, one SKU to speak of. There was one platform to make the games for. And it has got quite fragmented now as a landscape. You've got iPod Touch, iPhone 1G, 2G, 3G, 3GS, iPhone 4, OS 3, OS 4. Um, you know, I think it, it's getting more complex as a landscape. Um, we are looking at how we can bring our content to other platforms that are of a similar um, power in terms of the hardware and input devices. and. We are going to bring our games to Android. We've, uh, we made an announcement a couple of weeks ago that we're going to, we're going to partner with OpenFaint again to bring our games to Droid. Uh, I think it's very exciting the speed at which they're growing their market. It's obviously a bit more fragmented than, than Apple's. Um, with just the number of handset manufacturers and people making Droid devices. Um, you know, I think it's exciting the growth that they're seeing, and it seems like there's there's new ways in which you can create apps that tap the functionality of the phone in ways that Apple doesn't quite let you just now. Um, so, what's next in store then for um, Pickpock in terms of either new products that you can talk about, um, and what suggestions do you have for other indie game developers who are trying to start their own studio? You know, trying to ride the wave of the mobile gaming or these online games. So we. we we're going to keep supporting and updating the, ga the games that we have on the store already. Um, our flick kick football games getting a great reaction reception at the moment, and we're going to keep putting out new modes and updates for that. Uh, we're bringing our games to iPad and to iPhone 4 with the, the Retina display, so the HD graphics. Um, we're working on a fairly substantial free-to-play game, which we'll announce as soon as we possibly can, but uh, we're not quite ready yet. Uh, so what are last words that you have for indie game developers out there? So I guess my advice for indie developers would be have a plan in place, have a, have a clear audience in place, like really think about who it is that you're going to um, attract with your game, because there are so many games out there, what, what's unique, what's different about it. Uh, and also look, look, for, look for people to partner with to help promote your game. Uh, OpenFate's great if you use their, if they use their online network system for leaderboards, they can help push your game. Uh, and even look at working with another indie publisher. There's a lot of value to be had uh, launching your game into a portfolio of like-minded content. Um, you know, just being one game on the App Store or a digital storefront it can be very hard to make yourself stand out. And if you if you publish into a portfolio of existing content, that can be a great way to sort of help build momentum a lot faster. Uh, thank you very much. And where can people find out more about your game? Uh, we have uh, websites up at she.co.nz, S-I-D-H-E.co.nz, pickpockgames.com, and we're on Twitter at pickpock, at pickpockgames, 
and at SheNZ. Thank you very much.